Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. If you had to fill in this blank with me, I think there are lots of ways to do it, but I'm, I'm looking for your help. Babies are what? Help me out. Somebody said fun. Awesome. That's a good word. Babies are awesome. Some others. Babies are a blessing. Yes, a gift from God. Absolutely. What else? Somebody over here. Cute. Yes. There was this fad when I was in college. They would take this, Ann Geds, I think was the person. She did art and it was like tulips, but there were babies in them. And it was just like, you don't remember this fad? I don't know if it's still going on. Weird, but also cute, right? Babies are cute. What else? Babies. Smelly. Let's be honest, right? That's right. Babies are smelly. Um, anything else? Wait, uh, what was that over here? Chubby, uh, cute, and you want to just pinch like cheeks and stuff? Yeah. You know, we could fill in the blank a lot of ways. We're going to be really honest. They can be loud, noisy, um, adamant, communicator. Did you say hard work? I guess. Oh, you didn't mean that they are hard workers. You mean that it's hard work for the rest of us. Amen. We have five kids, and I can testify to the truth of that statement. All five were hard work. They were demanding, tough, um, in the middle of the night. No respect for our sleeping patterns at all. This is true of babies, um, but, but I think, above all, Scripture testifies this reality. Children are a gift. They're a blessing. They're an inheritance from the Lord, and uh, we should just give thanks for them. Um, but this is a time of year we often think about babies, maybe a little more than normal, because there's the celebration of Christmas and the baby, Jesus. Um, and it, maybe it, it causes us to, to think back to our own lives, maybe not to when we were babies, since our memory's not that great, but when we've had babies in our lives. And it reminds me of a story, um, the Rogers family road trip of 2008. We had three children under five. Claire was the youngest, uh, our baby. And uh, we loaded up and we went back home. Now, at that point, we lived in Montgomery, Alabama, um, and we were headed back to Lubbock, Texas, where I grew up, where my parents still live. And so we went back for Christmas. We were having a great time. We were having such a great time, we decided, you know, maybe we should just stay a little bit longer. I know we had planned to, like, make the trip, you know, in two days, but let's just make it in one day. Let's just, that sounds like the most reasonable thing we could do. And so uh, it was about 16 hours, according to Google. And the Rogers don't travel. Google fast, just so you know, all right? We were like, we can do it. It'll be all right. They're kids. So anyway, we loaded them up, and somebody said, no, uh, which we learned was probably the best answer. But we were, we were all for it. So we loaded everybody up, get them in the back, and we start making pretty good time. You know, it, it was hard along the way, but it wasn't really hard until we got to Selma. Now, if you know where Selma, Alabama is, about 45 miles west of, um, of Montgomery. So we are this close to being home. And then Claire, the, the baby, is in the middle seat and just strapped into her fancy baby seat thing, and she just starts screaming. And I'm not, I don't mean just like a little bit of screaming. Like, she's really screaming. She's going for it. Like, blood-curdling, like, screaming. And we think, well, let's try some things. So first, we're like, here, have a book. <laughs> no, not interested, right? And we're like, well, what about a teething ring? Because, you know, maybe that's what's going on. She's like, teething and... And we're like, well, what about, um, oh, this would be good, maybe uh, Cartoon Jesus. Because we had these cartoons, we showed our kids, of, like all the Bible stories, and she's not interested, okay? 
caused us to question her. No, it didn't. And we understand, like, sometimes the baby's just got, like, they got needs, right? So we're trying all these things, and we're like, well, maybe she just needs to be changed. So we pull over on the side of the road, get her out to change her. There's nothing wrong. We're like, you stinker, what's going on here? Like, we don't know. We're trying everything. We're like, well, we just gave her a bottle, like, not long ago. Let's give her another one. Who knows? So we fill that thing up, stick it back there. That's not, it's not working either. Nothing is working. Finally, we're cruising down the road, and we're like, look, we got to go to the, the number one answer Above all answers, mama, you gotta go back there. You're just gonna have to sit between the seats and like touch her, hold her in some way. Even that didn't work. Finally, we made our way home. We walked in the door and that little girl stopped crying. She just wanted to be home. She wanted the journey to be over. And I think on some level, all of us can identify, right? There are times when life is just too much. Like you just need it to, to stop. We just need to feel the comfort of home. And if you can identify with that, and I, I bet you can, um, then you can probably identify with the people of God that Isaiah was called to speak to. In Isaiah chapter 40, which is where we're gonna start this morning. If you've got it, you can open it up. If not, it'll be up here behind me on the screen. Um, these were people who had been carried away from home, from Jerusalem. They're in exile in Babylon. And that's a long way from home. And far from home, weary by maybe as, as many as 70 years at this point of exile, they're done. Like they're just overwhelmed. Like they want home. And this is the word that God sends through Isaiah to his people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. And his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. And he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You know, far from home, the people of God need to hear from him. They, they need action from God. And there's, there's at least a few things in this prophetic word from Isaiah that, uh, that I think are good news, right? Number one, did you notice um, as God begins to promise a better future, the answer involves some landscaping, right? 
Like mountains are going to be brought down, valleys are going to be brought up, rough and, and rugged places are going to be leveled out. There's going to be a highway, but a highway, because the good news isn't landscaping. If you've ever done landscaping, you know that's not true, right? You don't do landscaping for the joy of landscaping. You do landscaping so you can enjoy a better life, right? So why is the highway a promise of God right now? It's a highway for whom? For God. The good news that God wants Isaiah to shout to his people is, I'm coming. I'm coming. A highway. Now, there's a lot that separates the people of God in Babylon from Jerusalem. Mountains, hills, valleys, all kinds of stuff. But God's promise is, nothing is going to keep me from you. When you think about that, beyond the, the landscape, These people were in Babylon because they had turned their back on God. It was their sin and their rebellion that led to their exile. But even that couldn't keep God from his people. The love of God is so much more than we deserve, right? And every one of us can raise our hand to this. We've lived a life that does not deserve the love of God. Yet, he says, I'm making a way. I'm coming for you. That's the good news. Isaiah is telling the people. He goes further than that. He, he also says the glory of the Lord will be revealed, which is kind of cryptic, right? Like, uh, what does that mean? Uh, and the truth is a lot of people can argue about this and, and say, well, it could mean this, it could mean that. I, I think there's a hint in what happens in the story of the Exodus. Most of us, what we know about the story of Exodus is that the people of Israel were slaves and then there were plagues they walked through the Red Sea. They got the Ten Commandments. Yes. But if we've only read that much, we've only read half of the book of Exodus. You know, what happens as the story continues is in the end, the final scene in the story of Exodus gives us a look at the glory of God, the Shekinah, glory of God. It's the glory of God dwelling with his people. That's what makes this God glorious. He doesn't He doesn't live from a distance. He dwells with his people, and that's his great heart. His heart wasn't just to set them free from slavery. It was also to take up residence with them, to live with them. And you need to know, he's got the same heart now. His great desire is to live with us. So is it any surprise? The Christmas story is a story about Emmanuel, God with us. God as a babe, God in the flesh. The other part that I think is really cool about what Isaiah is is telling the people is, as he talks about who this God is, it's it's on one hand, unsurprising. On the other hand, a little interesting. Three things in the last two verses we read that I want you guys to catch. First, he says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Now that sounds like, the God of a mighty hand and an outstretched arm of the Exodus, right? But he goes on. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He's a God of justice. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He's a God who is mighty and he's just, but he's also gentle. So the people of Isaiah's day, they heard these words and they started to wonder, what, is that, what does that look like? 
But they, they held on to these words and they shared. And there's so many messianic prophecies in Isaiah, words about the Messiah to describe um, who he would be and how he would act and what, and what he would be about. And they clung to these 500 years, more than 500 years later. The New Testament testifies to God's arrival. For all this time, they grab onto these words, they hold on to them, and they're wondering, where is he gonna be, and, and when's it gonna happen? And they're, they're crying out, how long, O oh Lord? And finally, he bursts on the scene, and he bursts onto the scene with a little bit of fanfare, right? First, a heavenly angel, not just any angel, but the chief messenger at God's right hand, Gabriel, makes an announcement. First to Zechariah, then to Mary. Lots of good news here. The Messiah is coming. And then uh, eventually, uh, Luke tells us, we've got this heavenly host in the night sky over the fields and they're, they're singing or they're shouting to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. This is good news. And then to go further than that, not just angels doing some pretty cool things, but then also a star over Bethlehem to draw wise men. Think about the links God's going to with this baby announcement. We asked the Gettles, you know, the, the Gutierrez, like what, what, and the, the Walters, like, what did you guys do for a baby announcement? You might have sent a postcard to somebody or a, uh, God says, I got stars, I got angels, we're throwing it all out there. We want everybody to know. And as a result, what do the people do? Mary worships. Elizabeth worships. You read the Gospel of Luke, I mean, it's like a musical. People are just bursting into song. They're worshiping because of what God's saying and what he's doing. You would think of the angels themselves are worshiping. The shepherds end up worshiping. The wise men come and worship. Everybody who hears this great news worships. So this is a, a preemptive feet to your faith moment, okay? I'm of the belief this is probably the most wonderful time of the year. Like, I love it. I love this time of year. So the song's right, right? But I also love it because of what it inspires within me. I love to worship. And Christmas just stirs my heart to worship the God who comes near, the God who cares to live with. And so there's a, there's a, a tour that Martha and I have, have gone to many times in the past. I think we've done five or six times. Um, it's called the Behold the Lamb Tour by Andrew Peterson. It's a phenomenal Phenomenal concert, but it's really a, it's a collection of songs that tell the story of God's promise to deliver us and to do that with his son. It's powerful. I encourage you to look it up, find it if you want to. You can actually, they don't come within five hours from here um, this year on the tour, but you can participate online if you want to be a part of it. Andrew Peterson didn't even ask me to do that. I just thought <laughs> I'd share it with you, all right? So please Please grab hold of that or take this as your challenge. Sit with the Advent story long enough this year that worship springs up in your heart and you just worship him. Like that might not be a scheduled worship service here. In fact, I hope it's more than a scheduled worship service here in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in the car, in traffic, whatever. It's like worship God for all the glorious good he is. Let the Christmas story inspire that in you. But that's not all God's about. He's not just about doing something so spectacular that, that people have to worship him. Because he's making an announcement too. 
An announcement's an, a really important part of the story. You know, Isaiah 40 testifies to something every single gospel writer had to grab hold of. Every single one. They grabbed hold of Isaiah 40 to explain this, this freak of, of a person named John the Baptist. He was different. He was really different. He's kind of like Santa Claus, all right? Some of you guys think, oh, no. Uh, this, is, this is a step too far. Let me explain. Think about Santa Claus for a second. Our culture uses this Santa Claus thing, and, and, and we, we celebrate Santa Claus. He, he's this guy who wears a red like suit. No one wears that. No one. You don't go to work and see some guy wearing that, right? Uh, it's a completely different getup, right? And uh, he wears this belt, right? And then he also eats milk, milk and cookies like all the time. But again, great and not so great, right? Okay, so hold on to that. He, he also just shouts, Merry Christmas, random times. Merry Christmas, oh, over cities, Merry Christmas. Like, this is him. Okay, so take that. Now let's think about John the Baptist. Well, actually, let's read about John the Baptist first, and then we'll come to him. Let's read. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going. So flip over there or follow up along on the screen behind me. Check this out. This is the way Mark starts his gospel. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Well, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, camel hair, belt, locusts and honey, I mean, this is different. And he's shouting a message, right? A message of repentance. He's shouting, prepare the way. He is the voice in the wilderness that Isaiah prophesied about, which means God is coming. And Jesus is about to start his ministry and start explaining why he's present and why his presence makes such a difference. You know, Feet to your faith is one of our favorite things about City Church. We don't, we don't preach messages around here just to add to our knowledge or just to grow our vocabulary or to impress our friends about the theological like, discussions we can have. All that is, is fine and good, but only if it moves us toward our God and deepens our relationship with him and grows our love, not just for him, but also for others. There are... Th Three things I think we have to know and we have to live with in the Christmas season. So prepare your toes because I'm gonna step on, okay? Here it comes. First, if we're a people who really celebrate Advent and the coming of Jesus as a people of the kingdom, we have to live as a people who are attentive to those who are struggling among us, those who are suffering among us. Think about that. 
You know, we're in a, in a minivan cruising down the road so close to home, a daughter in the back just screaming her lungs out, and a good father, which I am not always or maybe often, has to be attentive, right? Like, you can't just be like, oh, well, hope that whoever's in the back there pulls it together, right? And crank up the stereo a little louder. <laughs> and Brad is laughing because he has done that, probably. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's not good. That's not holy, and that's not our God. Our God hears the cry. He's attentive. And like John, we have to be a people who are also attentive, who notice, and who care enough to be attentive, right? So that's first. Just be attentive. There's a lot to keep us busy during the Christmas season, right? I mean, there's wassail. There's like peppermint bark. Right? There's all kinds of candy, there's parties, there's all this kind of stuff. In all of that, there's, there's presents. There's, in all of that, don't forget, as a kingdom people, we must live attentive to those who, who are suffering. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Except at Christmas, then you can take the time off and just have a party. No, no. The people of the kingdom are a people of comfort. Being attentive to that. That's first. Second, the people of kingdom comfort resist the temptation to meet an eternal desire with something fleeting or material. Uh, and, and this is convicting for me, just as much as I hope it is for you. This is a season in our culture, we go over the top to buy presents to show the people around us that we love them, Right? But let's put that where it belongs, okay? Let's keep that where it belongs. A present isn't love. And it's a poor substitute for, for comfort. Um, we need to be a people who, who don't empty our bank accounts to buy material things that are fleeting and that won't last unless, or unless we're also willing to be present ourselves and be a people of kingdom comfort. That's the ultimate gift. To be a people of kingdom comfort, not, not just maybe a, a people who, who give great gifts. And let me tell you, I'm a gift giver. I love giving gifts. But I wanna be a man who loves giving Jesus too. And, and loves giving people around me who are suffering what they really need, right? Third, last thing I wanna challenge you with uh, as we think about putting feet to our faith. Shout the love of God. Do you notice in Isaiah 40, as we look at the example of John the Baptist in Mark chapter one, this is not a timid communication. Like this isn't a whispering. In fact, Isaiah is clear, you know, go up on a mountain, lift up your voice, shout. And what do we shout? Here is your God. Now what's wrong with that? What would it look like if we lived that way? If we weren't just the people who whispered it or, or who said it whenever we got together, because there was some shouting in here earlier. You guys were singing like full-throated, like celebration. But we, we know those things. We remind ourselves of those things. But what about a world that doesn't? What about the mountaintop? Now, I know the, the feet to your faith challenge is not like jump the fence at Carter Mountain, go all the way up on top and just, that's not the goal, Okay. But think about what it looks like to live 
that kind of shout. To share with, with a world that is suffering, that's hurting, that it has come to the conclusion life's just too much. How do we shout this good news? Here's your God. Here is your God. We can say that this side of the advent in ways that the people of Isaiah's day couldn't. He really came. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's really here. What would it look like to live that conviction? I'm gonna invite um, the worship team to come back and, and be ready to, to lead us in worship. And, and this, is a, this is an opportunity. I'm gonna sing a song that's an old classic. Like it's a, it's a goodie, right? And some of you guys are gonna know it. You're gonna be like, oh yeah, um, I remember that from my teenage years. Or it, it's a song called Shout to the Lord. Um, it's an invitation to live with conviction Well, he just called you to, right? Before we do that, I, I, I wanna challenge you with this. Um, when we're met with the, the great love of God, this God of all comfort, um, sometimes it can be hard to know exactly what to say. There was a guy named Frederick Lehman in 1917. Um, he wrote a song. And the second verse of that song goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the sky of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The truth is, God hasn't called us to be a people who pull up stalks, dip them in ink, and try to write them on the sky. But he has called us to live a life of love and bring kingdom comfort to those around us. That's the challenge. Not just to receive the comfort of God, but also to give kingdom comfort.